Hey guys, thanks for tuning us in for this 31st episode of Good Questions with Cameron Dole. Special guests for this episode include former presidential candidate Ralph Nader. We'll also visit with author Danielle D'Souza Gill, NFL player Sam Acho, and country singer Bree Bagwell. If you would, please take the time to subscribe, share with your friends, leave a comment, and also leave some feedback for us as well. Our first guest is NFL linebacker, formerly from the University of Texas, Sam Acho. He's got a new book coming out tomorrow called Let the World See You, How to Be Real in a World of Fakes. First off, Sam, thanks so much for taking the time, brother. No, Cameron, thanks so much for having me. Now, now, Sam, talk about uh, the, the new book, Let the, Let the World See You. And uh, w- when you think about an NFL uh, player writing a book, this is not what you expect. And uh, uh, Sam, quite honestly, pleasantly surprised. And, and tell us where this book came from for you and, uh, and how important it is for, for folks right now with everything they're going through. Yeah, with everything going on right now in our country, right, we talk about um, COVID, everybody being at home and being isolated, and, and now we're teaching and we're parenting and we're uh, trying to be a good spouse and work, and then race stuff going on in our country. There's so much going on. Yes, I play linebacker in the NFL, but it's not a football book by any stretch of the imagination. It's a book about authenticity, about vulnerability, uh, a book about the freedom that comes when you're you, because I believe when you're you, I believe that, number one, God gets the glory. I believe that the people around you benefit and that the world around you thrives. And, and it, this seems like something that, 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 that has been on, on my mind and, and several of the guests that I've spoken to over the last couple of weeks. It's not all about the individual. Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's about, in all reality, like it's about, um, I, what I believe, put it this way, is um, a few things. Number one, we are vulnerable and authentic it allows other people to be free and vulnerable and authentic as well, right? I kind of start off the book with the story of me actually losing a friend. I lost a mentor. And he was 70-something years old. He was a next-door neighbor, and he had cancer, and he was fighting it for years. Um, nothing was working. And we didn't know why, and he posted a message on Facebook asking for permission to leave. He said, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to see Jesus, right? Like, that's, that's what he said. And I said, okay, well, before you go, how do you respond to a, a question like that, right? So I said, before you go, um, selfishly, I said, give me what you got. I need to hear any advice that you've learned. What do you know? And he said, man, Sam, there's two things. Number one, that the most important thing you can do on this earth, there's nothing of greater value than this, that get to know Jesus intimately. There's nothing, there's no greater joy you'll get on this earth than getting to know Jesus. And it's a, it's a mutually beneficial relationship, right? God gets no greater joy than when you get to know Jesus. And then number two, number two, He said, Sam, the last thing I want you to know is that you are worth getting to know. Never forget that. You are worth getting to know. And those would be the last words I heard from my dear friend, right? But that's what this book is about. This book is about what it means to be seen, to be known, and to be loved. It's not only about you. Being you isn't just for you. Being you frees up others to be themselves as well. And, and, and as an NFL player, I mean, how different is that mindset than, uh, than other players, not only in the NFL, but, uh, but college and then the, uh, the, the business and, uh, and industry uh, as well going through the, the process of the book? Yeah, so even being vulnerable, real and authentic and letting the world see you, yes, it has its place in the NFL locker room, right? Okay, I, I get it. I'm an NFL player. How do I let the world see me? But as an individual, as a human being, as a husband, as a as a father, 
Um, how do I let my wife see me? How do I let my kids see me? How do I let my friends see me, right? As if I'm working, how do I let my coworkers see me? Because when I do, and when I have the courage to be real, it opens up, it gives them an opportunity to be real and authentic as well. And so um, it's not just for anybody who's an athlete, right, whether football, basketball, track and field, whatever, um, though it has its place in, the, in those fields, it's also for anybody who's ever dealt with any kind of shame or guilt or, or fear. And, and Sam, how important do you think it is for you? You talked about the uh, the transparency, but uh, it, it does open doors because uh, as Christians, a lot of times you get questioned about, uh, well, you guys just do things this way, do you do things this way. But whenever you break it down and, and show humanity, I mean, how much different is the is the reception from those you're visiting with as well? Oh, absolutely. I remember my first year in the NFL being a Christian and uh, I would get angry. I get mad at practice or getting a fight or something, right? I'm a competitor just like everybody else who's in the NFL. And people would look at me and they'd say, oh, Sam, well, you're a Christian. You're not, Christians aren't supposed to get mad. And I didn't know at the time what to do with that. How do I respond to that? And so I said, okay, well, let me not, try not to get angry, right? But the real me is a guy who's a competitor, a fiery competitor, and who gives God glory by the way I compete. I give God glory by the gift he gave me to, be, to compete, to be great. And so for me to downplay that and not get angry or not – compete to the highest level, right? That would be, um, yeah, almost like the Bible talks about, like, you're the light of the world, right? Nobody gets a lamp and puts it under, uh, covers it up, but you put it on a stand so the world can see, right? Like, that's like the hiding the gifts that God gave me. And so to that point of when we are authentic to who God made us to be, God gets the glory from that. When, we're, when, we, are, when we are who God made us to be, people around us benefit from that. And then when we're who, we, who God made us to be, the world will thrive when we're us. That is right. And Sam, I want to make sure and, uh, and let folks know where they can find more information about the book and, and everything else you got going on as well. Absolutely. Anybody who wants to find out anything about the book, which comes out tomorrow, we couldn't be more excited. It's, it's go to samachobook.com. You can order the book right there, S-A-M-A-C-H-O book. Com. And it's also available anywhere you get books, Amazon, Target, Barnes & Noble, everywhere you buy books, it's available, audiobook, etc. You want to follow me on social media at the T-H-E Sam Acho. Um, but, man, I'm so excited about this message. Uh, Cameron, thank you so much for having me. I got to end it with a hook of horns if possible, but I know this probably wouldn't be allowed in these parts. <laughs> That's right. Well, Sam, great to visit with you, brother. Looking forward to spending some more time with uh, with my copy of the book, and hopefully we can catch up again real soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Our next podcast guest is uh, author, and uh, man, she, well, I'll let her explain herself a little bit better as well. Uh, we're we're going to get to know her together this morning, uh, Danielle D'Souza Gill. And uh, first off, Danielle, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. Now, Danielle, uh, the, the the new book, The Choice, uh, The Abortion Divide in America. Now, uh, I wanted to, to delve into this a little bit uh, on this episode. And uh, first off, where did uh, where did the concept, when did uh, this become such a, a big thing in your heart, if you will? Well, I graduated from college and moved to New York City. And I saw Governor Cuomo light up the Freedom Tower pink to celebrate uh, the fact that they legalized nine-month abortions for no medical reason. And 
Uh, that's legal in seven states now. So I kind of just saw the radicalization of the Democratic Party and how I felt like they're uh, the pro-life movement seemed very sequestered, and I felt like more of us needed to get involved and more of us needed to start speaking up on uh, what I think is really one of the most uh, devastating issues of our time. And and how much has the how much has the debate changed since 1973? It's really changed a lot. You know, back then in 1973, when Roe v. Wade was passed, they asked questions like, "When does life begin?" and you know, what could be going on in the womb, and maybe there's potential life in the womb. But I think now with the development of medical technology and the ultrasound and the fact that we can hear the heartbeat just a few weeks into the pregnancy, see the baby, I think it just really shows the fact that there is really no ambiguity here. We know that there is a life in the womb um, during pregnancy. And even when we look at viability, we see that babies are born earlier and earlier and earlier as technology improves and can live on their own outside the womb. And, and and where what what do you think to the the the, the different uh, methodologies the different uh, well the the yeses or nos I mean it's it's a left and right issue there's is there really a, a middle ground on it No I really don't think so because I kind of look at some of those questions like maybe you know I'm personally pro life but I can't impose my views on someone else or you know things like that but no matter what your view is going to be imposed on someone and um, in the case of abortion it's the child. Uh, there's really no way around it. So there's a life that's either going to be ended or not. And um, I think so often we forget that we're literally choosing the life and death of another human being, of an innocent human being. And I think also if people try to make arguments like, well, maybe, you know, life begins at the six-month point, or maybe it begins at the, you know, point or whatever it is, um, there just really isn't any reason to think that because um, there's no a clear point other than at conception to show that, hey, this is a life. This is, you know, when life begins. And what what has been uh, the feedback that you've been getting from uh, from from the folks that you were interviewing and uh, and reviewing the, uh, the, 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 stat, the, the statistics, if you will? Well, I think that probably one of the saddest things was looking at actually how um, it affects abortion survivors. There are babies who actually survive the abortion procedure, which means that that they tried to abort the baby, they tried to kill it, but it actually lived through the procedure. And many of the people who lived through it actually have cerebral palsy today. They have um, perhaps, you know, a physical, uh, physical deformity and things like that. And I think it's just so sad to see kind of this uh, walking testament to what abortion does. You know, abortion is one of the only healthcare procedures where if it's successful, you actually kill a person. And if it's not successful, you know, someone lives through it. So I think that for me was a real eye-opener. And another eye-opener was actually hearing from, you know, uh, women who had gone through it who never got to see their ultrasound. They never got to see any of the truth of what was going on. And I think so often, you know, Planned Parenthood and clinics like that, and even Democrats oppose laws saying that women need to be informed. They oppose laws saying that women need to know what's going on in order to have this healthcare procedure. But the left really wants to pull the wool over women's eyes. They want them to go in there. They don't want a waiting period, and they don't want them to know what's going on. And 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 how much do you think it is a it is a a, a, a sexist a, an ageist a, a a race line that's being drawn in the sand by but between the two parties? Well, I, I think it, abortion is very racist. You know, we see that the roots of Planned Parenthood was they really go back to not the women's rights movement, not 
you know, um, any kind of feminism. It actually comes from Margaret Sanger and her eugenics ideology. And that's why Planned Parenthood places their clinics in minority communities. That's why a black baby is more likely to be aborted than a white baby. That's why a little girl baby is more likely to be aborted than a little boy baby. And so I think that, you know, we can't uh, distance ourselves from this. It's very clear that there's racism, there's sexism, and it's happening to very innocent babies in the womb. And uh, Daniel, if, if folks want to find out more information about the study that you've done also the, uh, and the book and uh, anything else you've got going social media wise, where, where can people keep up with, uh, with all that information? Yeah, I'm Danielle D'Souza Gill on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of those places. And my book is called The Choice the abortion divide in America. So definitely stay tuned and follow along. It's been really cool to see people's responses to the book. Um, and so I've been sharing those on my social media too. And, and with 2020 the way it is and, and you being uh, doing so much study, how has, how has study changed for, for you as, uh, as you delve in on, on other subjects as well in 2020? Man, you know, there's so much that I that I think we can always be learning. So that's why I felt like, you know, it's so important that we actually dive into the statistics. We actually dive into the deeper heart of the matter. I think so often people get their news just purely from social media or, you know, kind of could be those quick ways to see it. But I think it's important that we really dive into, you know, um, what are what are these issues and how can we know more about why we believe what we believe? And even if we look now at the election and the Supreme Court nomination, um, I think it'll be really interesting to see people uh, kind of follow along with Amy Coney Barrett's hearings. And, and have you seen any any uh, stepping across the lines on on, on either side from uh, from the folks that have uh, the, that have checked out the book? Yeah, I actually have. I've seen a lot of people who are apolitical, but who are kind of interested in this book. Um, it's, you know, a bright pink book and it's, it's not really a traditional, you know, right to life book in the sense that there isn't like a silhouette of a pregnant woman with a baby inside. And it's not kind of, um, you know, off putting like that. It's very different. And I've seen a lot of people say, you know, I'm actually just really interested in this issue because, um, I don't know a lot about it. And then after they've read it, they're like, wow, you know, this actually is a human rights issue. You know, I'm not religious, I'm not conservative, but, I actually see the science behind it and I see that this is killing. So definitely I think there's, um, there are many people that can be reached with this book and also just the fact that, um, you know, we're kind of the pro-life generation. I think that we're going to kind of see the overturning of Roe v. Wade and we're going to see the culture really shift on this. And bringing out the science and the and the fact side of it, and I know a lot of people straight want to push it away because there's religion involved and politics involved. But when you get science and uh, and the facts down on paper, do you think that uh, that helps the case over the emotions that are attached to politics and religion? Yeah, you know, I think that it, that the science is kind of where I start the book. I start it by even talking to embryologists and saying, you know, what about the fact that the left argues that this is a polyp? Is this a polyp? What about the fact that, fact that the left equates this to an appendix? Is this an appendix? I mean, if you actually take their arguments and dive into them, they really make absolutely no sense based on the science. But I think they say those things because they want to make you feel like it's nothing. They want to make you feel like it's a cluster of cells only. And I mean, obviously, we're all made of cells. So sure, okay, we're all clusters of cells, but we're also human beings. And so when you dive into the science, you can see that, no, this is a human being. This has like a com- the complete DNA of its own um, that is not the mother's, it's not the father's, it's 
it's unique. And so um, I think the science is really important. But even when it comes to the emotional side, I think it actually really does tug on the heartstrings in the sense that, wow, you know, it breaks my heart to see that um, the left is using kind of these tactics of um, really just leading women down the wrong path and kind of ruining many of their relationships, ruining many of their lives. When in fact, adoption is such a great option that allows the woman to go on with her life and you know, maybe that that wasn't something that that she wanted to raise, but that's okay because the child can be with people who love it and who want to raise it. And, and for you, what was what was the majority of the 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 doctors' opinions that you that you visited with? Yeah, I mean, it's actually shocking because when you step outside of the abortion debate, it's so obvious what's happening in the womb. I mean, doctors that you talk to, even if you go to um, just not not Planned Parenthood, but let's say you go to get prenatal care. They say, oh, look, it's your baby girl. Oh, look, it's your baby boy. Oh, look, you know, they obviously have genitalia in the first trimester. I mean, they have their heartbeat. They have all these things. So every every doctor knows exactly what's going on in the womb. And, you know, that's why people say, like, oh, let me fill your tummy to feel the baby kick. That's why they have gender reveal parties. That's why there are baby showers. That's why, um, you know, when someone posts even a photo of their ultrasound on social media, people comment and say, wow, congratulations. And things like that. So it doesn't actually take, you know, great leaps and bounds to know what's happening in the womb, but the left likes to act like there's great mysticism around what's happening in the womb. And it's actually really quite obvious. And Danielle, how, how has marketing been different for you this time around uh, because of 2020? Well, I've been doing a lot of uh, radio and Zoom and, and obviously things like that, just to make sure I reach as many people as possible. Um, it was definitely really cool to go see my book in Barnes and Noble and things like that. But um, I think it's just it's just been such a crazy, crazy year. And I'm actually so fortunate that my book is coming out right around the time of the Supreme Court nomination, because I think so many people are going to be talking about Roe v. Wade and abortion as it's kind of drawn to the forefront of this election and to the Supreme Court hearing. And again, Danielle, uh, give folks more information uh, about where they can uh, where they can get get information about the book again. Yeah, so I'm Danielle D'Souza Gill on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and my book is called The Choice: The Abortion Divide in America. And I really debunk the left's most popular pro-choice arguments in each chapter, um, not just a fetus is a cluster of cells or my body, my choice, and kind of all the most common things we hear, but also things that people actually ask me and argue like. How could we pay for these children with our welfare state? What if the child grows up in an abusive home? You know, if they're an unwanted person, what about um, if this child goes up to be a criminal? Things like that, that they actually ask me. So I actually dive into all kinds of questions and all kinds of topics that relate to this issue, because um, I think it's important that we actually talk about what people are thinking. That's right. And uh, Danielle, it's been uh, great to visit with you. Great to meet you uh, first off and uh, hopefully uh, best of success with the book and we can catch up uh, again real soon. I would love that. Thank you for having me. The first time I got to see her was a, a few years back opening uh, for Trace Adkins over at uh, Fort Sill for the big 4th of July uh, thing they had over there. Bree Bagwell on the line with us. And, and first off, Bree, thank you so much. Uh, and it's good to get to visit with you. Good morning. Yes, I'm, I'm excited, too. We were um, we played in Pueblo, Colorado on Saturday night. So we were in the van for 16 hours yesterday. So <laughs> if I'm a little brain dead, I'm getting it together. Uh, been been a been a crazy weekend being back on the road finally. 
what what was it like the the taking the stage the first time? How hard was it to uh, to to maybe control the emotions as you, as you got out there the first time? Oh yeah, I totally teared up. Um, I'm still in that phase where I'm still getting emotional on stage. Uh, we had a, a show in Roswell on Friday and kind of got you know standing ovation and the encore, and I was just like a, a wreck on stage. It's it's I don't think I ever took performing for granted. I just, I've missed it so much and, and people are so excited and it's just, it's overwhelming, you know, but I, I'm also like, I forget. I'm like, I forgot how to play this song. Um, there's definitely a learning curve getting back into it. <laughs> what, now what has been the, what has been the thing that you have focused the most on, uh, since we had all this extra time, has there been, is it the songwriting? Is it, uh, maybe, uh, maybe an instrumentation or, or the vocals that you've been working on, uh, in some of your extra time? I, I've definitely been writing a lot of songs. Um, but I actually launched a brand new clothing collection, um, which is totally <laughs> not something I, uh, thought I would ever have time for, but quarantine really created this unique opportunity for me to do something that I wouldn't have time to do normally. So um, the clothing line, it's it's with my friend that owns the Glam Wagon and we launched it on Monday and it almost sold out in, in, in 48 hours. Everything was almost gone. So it was extremely successful. And um, so I tried to look at quarantine as like an opportunity rather than, you know, just the total awfulness that, that I could have because <laughs> it was just so heartbreaking. But um, we, we just put our nose down and work and wrote songs and launched a clothing line. Why not? <laughs> now, now, did you find, uh, was, was the inspiration for the writing the songs, was it hard to find or was it maybe, were you maybe inspired a bit more because of the circumstances? Yeah, I think uh, I'm a pretty disciplined songwriter now. I, I wrote at Sony up in Nashville for three years and then um, I'm part of like, a lot of songwriting groups where I write one song a week, regardless of whether I'm inspired or not. So I'm kind of used to not feeling, you know, if I'm not feeling inspired, sometimes those are the best songs that come out, even when I'm not feeling it. And I force myself to sit down and write. So, I mean, I always try to tell songwriters if they ever wanted advice, you know, it's like, man, treat it like a treat it like a, a work day kind of and, and you never know what's going to come out. Now, where you talk about uh, the the times that you're uninspired, sometimes uh, being uh, maybe the most fruitful. Give give me an example of one that uh, that maybe you thought was uh, m- maybe you thought you'd laid a, 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 an ugly egg and uh, turned out to be uh, something totally different in the in the final product. Yeah, and um, there was a a song called um, Asphalt and Concrete. That was on, it's the first song off of my record. And I was actually in Las Vegas and in, in this group that I'm a part of, you have to turn this song in no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, or you get kicked out of the group, no exceptions. Wow. So I was in Las Vegas with no guitar. And so I was playing like this silly little keyboard on my laptop, trying to make music that I could sing to. And then I, so I could get back to the blackjack table and out came this song that was just about my life. It was kind of very autobiographical and it just kind of fell out. And then it ended up being, you know, number one in Texas and one of my favorite songs on the record. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and how different is the landscape? I mean, you meld things like you talk about uh, Texas, Nashville, and and now, uh, well, I, I guess fashion liner. Does that mean uh, you're going to have to branch out into New York? Is that is that the next obvious one? I am open to all the possibilities, um, but also seeing how much we can do remotely. It's been amazing. You know, we we like right now we're doing a radio call via Zoom. I mean, we haven't really ever done any of these things, and quarantine has really 
forced us to. So um, I kind of think like the possibilities are endless, but yeah, I'll go to New York. I'll go wherever. <laughs> so, so they make the call. That's all it takes, right? <laughs> right. Now, Bree, who were who were the early influences, uh, the, the the ones that maybe you you fell in love uh, with music as a result of? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, I grew up you know, in the '90s. I think '90s country is just everything. I still love it. I still play it a lot. Um, I was a huge Vince Gill fan. Still am. Um, you know, Faith Hill, Dixie Chicks, Shania. Um, Travis Tritt, that era, I think, really, really influenced me. I mean, my parents always loved um, Johnny Cash and William Whalen, of course. But um, growing up in, in the in the '90s, I just, I just think that era really shaped my music and my songwriting. And you've got a you've got a duet partner there with you today. <laughs> I, oh, I, I could hear the, I could, yeah, the, the, the bird. Yeah. The bird? <laughs> that's ambiance. That's I, what. That's good I, stuff. <laughs> I know it's beautiful down here in Texas, but my dog was just scratching at the door trying to get out. So I thought you meant my dog. That's my normal <laughs> duet partner. Now the uh, you talked about having to change things up. How different uh, has has the uh, the marketing looked this year and and this time around as opposed to the the single releases you've had before? Oh, well, I mean, I think everything's different. The way that we're, you know, being careful with shows as well. A lot of people are kind of getting a lot of heck for having shows because it's bringing people together at a time where we shouldn't be bringing people together. So I guess uh, my answer is careful. We're being very careful with what we do because we want to we want to do what's right, even though it's maybe the hard thing. We want to do what's right. And so um you know, my, my music video we filmed during quarantine with one cameraman and uh, at a house. So it wasn't at a, you know, a public place. And, and I spent $99 on Amazon to buy a wedding dress and <laughs> filmed a music video in quarantine. So everything is just, you know, it's all adapted and it's all unique. And new. But I, I think that's fun. It's a challenge to, to figure it out. And right now, obviously, uh, I try to stay off of social media as much as possible because there's there's so much heaviness, so much uh, uh, so much division. Yeah. And, and for you to be able to the the music makes a difference and makes uh, can, can really change things in people's lives. And for you to be able to put a smile on somebody's face that's going through all this heaviness, I mean, how how cool is that on you on a personal level for you? Yeah, I think, you know, at first, the first thing that I've said, as soon as all this happened, I was like, well, we, we found out exactly how unessential we are as musicians. And I would laugh. And then now that we're back, the things that I'm hearing and the things that people are saying, and like you said, like how much they need live music and how therapeutic it is and, and, and how much it brings people happiness and brings everyone together. It's, it's like, okay, we actually are incredibly essential. Um, we just couldn't work. <laughs> and that's, I don't know. It warms my heart. It just does not get old to have people just gush about how they are so excited. Live music is back. And Bree, as uh, as you start adding new dates, uh, obviously new music as well. Where do folks keep up with uh, with the ever changing schedule? I know it's uh, it, it's kind of back and forth, right? Yes, it is. But we're adding, you know, adding and subtracting dates. So the best place is um, the website, BreeBagwell.com, B-R-I-Bagwell.com. Um, but we, we had about, we have about eight, eight or nine shows in October. So things are coming back, but I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook. Uh, I am on TikTok now, like the cool kids are. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you can find me anywhere. 
I, I, I see Lisa over there watching, and, and I know that she's going to be judging TikTok videos. You know she's got to be the biggest TikTok judge, right? Oh, she's so good at it. I told her, I'm like, you have to help me, and she's she's helping me. I'm, I'm getting I'm getting Lisa smooth TikTok lessons. Has, has she taught has she taught you the uh, has she taught you the park in the middle of a uh, uh, of a uh, traffic jam and get out and dance on the freeway? <laughs> I, I think she told me. Um, okay, so here's what I did, but don't you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bree, it is it is really been great to get to visit with you today. Uh, really enjoying the new single, and uh, hopefully. After all this uh, craziness uh, gets over, we'll get to see each other face to face and hope you have a great rest of your week. I love that. Thank you so much for chatting. And our final guest will be former presidential candidate Ralph Nader. He's got a brand new book we'll be talking about. Got the book Wrecking America with uh, Mark Green. We've got Ralph Nader on the line with us this morning. And first off, Ralph, thank you so much for taking the time to be back on the show. You're welcome, Cameron. Yeah, now tell us about the, the, the book and obviously the timeliness of it as well, Ralph. Well, it's a book designed to be used, not just read. I mean, we do want an informed electorate, and there are a lot of insider books on Trump, but this one really lays it out. The corruption is at a record high in the Trump regime. It's enmeshed in lies. It's enmeshed in self-enrichment. It's enmeshed in dismantling the health and safety protections of the American people, economic protections, all these laws that we helped pass uh, to protect people from corporate crime, corporate uh, deceit, deceptive advertising, gouging, pollution. He's just swept aside, and he's open about it. He's basically said, we're not going to enforce these laws. I think that's very serious, and it happens to come under one of the provisions in the Constitution he's violating, which is presidents are supposed to faithfully execute the laws. So we, we make this very readable, and I do address uh, some of my uh, pages to Trump voters, because I don't stereotype Trump voters. They're not all alike. They have different reasons for supporting Trump. One of them is almost never mentioned, which is hereditary Republicans, Cameron. There are hereditary Republicans who will never vote for Democrat, <laughs> and they'll vote for anybody on the Republican ticket. But I think others uh, don't have high expectations of what presidents should be doing for the country. And therefore, they are much more susceptible to being lied to, being given false promises, and not measuring how he is indeed wrecking America. And, and Ralph, I want to ask you a little bit. You know, we uh, you, you ran for president four different times. I, I wanted to ask you what uh, what the landscape out there like with uh, with social media and uh, the, well, obviously this year uh, with social distancing. How has the, the the campaign looked different this year than than times you've seen in the past? Well, anybody can get on social media anonymously and say all things, all kinds of things that are wrong and dangerous, lying, false. I think the big problem, Cameron, with social media is anonymity. You know, when you write a letter to the editor of a print newspaper, you've got to put your name on. And anonymity allows people to say terrible things without any responsibility. And I think Facebook and Google and all the others, they've got to deal with that. And for, and for you, I know that, uh, you know, one of the words that you hear from the right is socialism, talking about the left, and uh, you, you hear the opposite coming back, and I know that you address that in the, in the book as well. 
Yeah, well, right now, you know, the uh, COVID-19 spreader-in-chief, Donald J. Trump, he infected so many people in the White House, for example. Uh, he's being taken care of by socialized medicine over at Walter Reed Army Hospital. Isn't that ironic? Uh, when people, uh, uh, you know, bridle, when they hear the word socialism, I say, oh, you mean the post office? Oh, you mean your public drinking water system, your public schools, your public library, the Tennessee Valley Authority, um, you know, on and on. So we have a mixed system, capitalist system, socialist system, Social Security, uh, Medicare, uh, Medicaid. Uh, and so people got to start informing themselves and thinking for themselves. And I know that uh, one of the one of the things that a, a lot of folks liked four years ago about Trump was that he was not a lifelong politician. But do you think that that has played into some of some of the missteps, if you will, over the last four years? Yeah, very much so. You know, people have say, well, he's not a politician. He's rich. Nobody can buy him. Well, <laughs> he's bought himself. He's turned Washington over to Wall Street more than any other prior president. He gives them whatever they want. He, he, he uh, doesn't enforce the law against uh, corporate crooks on Wall Street. Uh, he he uh, deregulates them and makes deregulation sound good. He doesn't talk about uh, not controlling pesticides that are affecting small children, uh, allowing coal ash to pollute people's lungs, putting out more methane, more oil drilling uh, off the coast. It's interesting, he stopped the oil drilling expansion off South Carolina, Florida, and Georgia. I wonder why. It's because Republicans there don't want their beaches fouled. They don't want their property uh, devalued. So we, in this book, we talk about all the ways Trump has engaged, not just in bigotry and he's a sexual predator, but how he, he has harmed all people, red state, blue state, conservative, liberal. And you just can't give him a pass because he nominates judges that are representing corporate interests just because they're against abortion. You can't give him a pass because he says he's cut taxes when he's cut taxes overwhelmingly for the top 1% of the rich and, and drained the investment in rebuilding and repairing America in every community, the so-called infrastructure program he promised in 2016 and never did anything about. And again, uh, Ralph, I always want to make sure and, and let our listeners know where they can find not only more information about the book, where they can purchase that, and uh, and everything else you've got going on as well, sir. Yeah, they can get my column free. Go to Nader.org as to where to get the book, Wrecking America. Very easy read, large print, uh, very factual. Go to Nader.org. You know, people know how to get books online. They can get books in bookstores. But if you want more specifics, go to Nader.org. All right. Well, Ralph, always great to visit with you, sir. I hope you have a great a great weekend and uh, look forward to talking again soon, sir. Thank you, Cameron. Let's look for good weather in Oklahoma with enough rain, eh? <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> good to talk to you. Bye-bye now. Again, thanks for tuning us in for this 31st episode of Good Questions with Cameron Dole. If you ever have a question, some feedback, or anything you'd like to know, you can always follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter, all at GQ with Cam. If you'd like to help with the sponsorship of this podcast, please click on the support tab and follow the instructions. Also, if you have a special guest idea, send me an email, Cameron at KWHW.com. 
www.thebigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigbigb